1: Business is a competition. There are winners and losers. There's always someone trying to take your business away. And in business, just like sports, there are players, there are coaches, and there is a scoreboard. Welcome to the Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Whether you're a manager, executive, business owner, salesperson, or entrepreneur, The Business Locker Room is a show that will create content and conversations that will help you improve your business. Now, let's join your host, Kelly Riggs.
0: Hey, hello everyone. Great to have you on board The Business Locker Room. It is the show with compelling conversations, useful content that you can use to improve your business today you're done listening to with the show you're gonna take some of the things that we talk about right here and you're gonna take them back into your business and it's gonna get better I don't care if you're a sales rep a manager a business owner an executive an entrepreneur maybe you just have an interest in marketing social media business strategy those kinds of things the business locker room absolutely is the show for you it is the fusion of collective wisdom and real-world business experience we like to put them all together here on the show Check us out online at bizlockerroom.com. You can learn a lot more about me, about the shows that we've had in the past, guests that we've had on board, just a great lineup of guests in the past, and it just continues to get better and better and better. And we have got a fantastic lineup for you today. Of course, later on in the show, thank you to 4D Sales, our sponsor for the X's and O's segment. Miles Austin will join us, and we will talk about a brand-new tool an online productivity tool. I cannot wait to to have this conversation. We'll be talking about presentations and using an online tool called Haiku Deck. And if you have not had the pleasure of seeing that particular tool, Miles will fill you in and let you know why you should be using it. He's a big user, by the way. So we'll, we'll come back at the bottom of the show and bring him into the locker room and we'll talk about it later. Just a few moments from now, we'll be joined by Charles Green. And I have... Been waiting patiently for today and for this show because I've uh, really wanted to have this conversation with Charles. He has been in the business for quite a while, has written a couple of great books, and I'm excited to talk about those. Uh, One of those written in 2000, The Trusted Advisor, and then in 2005, Trust-Based Selling, Using Customer Focus and Collaboration to Build Long-Term Relationships. And We're going to talk about the idea of trust, its importance in selling, its importance importance in leadership and certainly the importance in business. In fact, uh, I've got a number of questions for Charlie about it, but it was interesting. I was online today, just just today looking at some of the articles that come across my desk and two articles jump right out immediately. Big banks too big to trust. Uh, that on CNBC just uh, a few hours ago and then there was another article that I was reading that had to do with trust as well. Veterans Corner Secretary Gibson who is the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Sloan Gibson. Secretary Gibson aims to regain veterans' trust. Trust is one of those topics that just does not seem uh, to ever take a break in the the media or in business. And so we'll have Charlie on board to talk about that in just a few moments. Coming up down the road uh, next Monday, Todd Schnick will join me. Uh, Todd is a guy that you may or may not know about but uh, he is uh, a, a, an owner of a marketing or excuse me a media company that has advised hundreds of organizations uh, everything from tech startups to multi-million dollar organizations in the world of marketing sales and business strategists he's he's published four books this is going to be a fantastic show and I'm going to enjoy it because he's a radio show host and a producer has hosted thousands of business talk shows, so it'll be exciting to talk with him next week. The week after that, Michael McLaughlin will join me in the world of professional services. Uh, Michael is a guy that people know very, very well, and uh, we'll have him on to talk o- to talk about selling in the professional services realm. Again, should be a fantastic, fantastic show. Thanks to Michael Sergit. He's on the other side of the glass, always making me sound better than I really am. And I appreciate uh, the work that he does for us. But we take an opportunity to welcome into the show now, Charles Green. Charles Green, who is, again, the author of The Trusted Advisor, and give you just a sense of his background as well, of extremely varied background, uh, many, many years in, in the business world. He has an MBA from Harvard, an undergraduate degree in philosophy from Columbia, Uh, Already I'm I'm starting to get nervous, Uh, uh, undergraduate degree in philosophy, and then he goes to Harvard, and if our memory serves me, I'll ask Charles. uh, A a lot of uh, those folks who have done things in the business world we're not proud of came from Harvard, so I'll (laughs) I'll ask him about guilt by association. Charles, great to have you on board with us. A pleasure to be here. Thank you, Kelly. Well, you know, I do. I think back to Enron and and some of the more famous collapses, and, 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 and there's that Harvard connection, so... And don't
2: forget our first MBA president. Yes, uh, yes, George Bush
0: also. Yeah, exactly right. Well, I've I've been excited to have this conversation with you for some time. Trust seems to sort of be cyclical in terms of top of mind awareness in the business world. Typically, when there is some sort of meltdown in the business world, Charles suddenly trust becomes a topic of interest. Uh, but you've you've been doing this for quite a while with a focus on trust. Give us a little bit of your background and how you migrated to where you are today.
2: Sure. Well, uh, you, you mentioned um, I studied uh, uh, philosophy as an undergraduate at Columbia. I also drove a taxi in New York, so I'm not, you know, just a pointy-head wacko. I <laughs> <You may laughs> got a better better education driving a cab in New York than I did, you know, studying philosophy. You bet. Um, I did that. didn't really have any idea at all what I wanted to do. Uh, in, in business and, and ended up after banging around for a couple of years at Harvard Business School, which was a great thing. As it turns out, I really like business. I'm half decent at it, and that was a, a, a wonderful experience. I went to work uh, and stayed in various forms with one organization for 20 years in management consulting. So Much like Mike uh, um, uh, Mac, uh, McDonald that you're having, I, I'm my background is in professional services. Okay. And um, I spent 10 years as a consultant, 10 years in various internal staff functions, and then went out on my own to do some corporate training and lucked into an enormous project with Deloitte and Touche being done jointly by Kellogg and Columbia Business Schools. And they cast around and said, uh, Deloitte actually said, we don't want all academics, we want a few people who have been out in the real world and I have to be in the right place at the right time. And um, on the evening of the first uh, day of the first session, the head of partner development at Deloitte uh, said to me and my partner, can you guys throw together 20 minutes tomorrow on the idea of a trusted advisor? And we said, sure, we can think of something like that. We'll put two you know, two axes up and figure out what to call them and make a two-by-two matrix. We can do
0: that. <laughs> yeah, every and, great um, illustration has the four-box diagram, correct?
2: Well, you know, there's something fundamental about that. It really, it, it's actually, uh, there's something powerfully psychological about it. And that little through threw together, is actually in Chapter 1. So, uh, and, and of the three of us who wrote that book uh, in 2000, as you said, uh, the other two went back to doing what they already did. David Meister was the guru of professional services. Rob Galford is the journey the trainer. And I'm the one who said, trust, that's really kind of interesting. Let me stay with that, see where that goes. So I wrote Trust-Based Selling in 2005. I wrote the Trusted Advisor Field Book with my colleague, Andre Howe, in 2012, I think it was. Right. And uh, just, you know, for 18 years now, it's been trust, trust, trust. And to your point, I think it's, um, I've learned a few things. Uh, one is it's a really broad subject. Uh, and a lot of the problems that we have thinking about it is because we don't think about it clearly. I mean, my, my actually, my philosophy major has turned out finally to be a little bit useful. Um, for example, you hear all the time things like trust is down in banking. Well, think about it for a minute. Does that mean, A, that banks have become less trustworthy, or does it mean, B, that people have become less inclined to trust banks? They're not the same thing. And if we can't figure out which problem we're solving, you know, good luck. Um, It has to be a little bit of both, I think, but um, you can can separate the issues. And once you do that, things get much clearer. Do we have a trustworthiness problem, or do we have a problem of paranoid, you know, non-trusting? Uh now, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you as the thing right. goes. There's certainly a lot of non trustworthiness. You know, you mentioned Jeff Skilling from Harvard and Enron is a great example. Um, wouldn't trust him as far as he can throw a truck. <laughs> um and uh, uh, anyway, we, so let me stop blabbing there and you, you direct me. Otherwise, I'll, I'll babble on throughout the whole
0: program here. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, that's uh, most of my job, Charlie, is just to get out of the way. Charles Green is our guest. <laughs> Great to have him on board. You can find him online at trustedadvisor.com. I really encourage you to read his blog, which is just a, a fantastic piece of writing. Also, follow him on Twitter at Charles H. Green. You know, to your point, trustworthiness or trust I'm reading uh, from a CNBC article today. Citi was fined seven billion dollars last year. Uh, also, J.P. Morgan agreed to pay thirteen billion dollars to the trust department. Clearly, there there is criminal activity or something that you know promotes the use of, of gargantuan fines. So there yeah. is a trust and a trustworthiness problem, and now they're they're trying to figure out the way a, a, a way to get out of that. But it's interesting how smaller regional banks charlie are are beginning to use it as an advertising theme they mentioned one of those people's united bank ran billboards in their home marketing home market of connecticut proclaiming one hundred and seventy years zero bailouts and and that message still resonates
2: absolutely it does and and financial services let's pick on them for a minute are among the lowest trusted uh, industries not without reason uh... bangor savings bank is another great example uh, who promote, you know, you, you just look at their stuff, their image, their interactions, everything they do is aimed at focusing on the customer. And by the way, not at competing with other banks or shareholder value or any of those things. It's really customer focused. And uh, to do that well, it ends up you do you end up being employee focused also. It's a very virtuous kind of a circle.
0: Sure. Well, yeah, the, one of the questions I have for you is how much of trust is generated at an individual level versus a corporate level. You know, we talk about not Absolutely. trusting banks, but uh, what's, what's the difference? Well,
2: that's, that turns out to be just a great question. Thank you. It's uh, one, of the, one of the more confusing things in talking about trust is that difference between personal and institutional. And it's taken me a while to sort of figure it out, and here it is. Most of what we mean when we say trust and most of what can be done and most of what's important about trust is at the personal level, not the institutional level. So when we, we, I mean, it's fair to talk about, do I trust Amazon? Do I trust GP Morgan Chase? But let's be honest. All you're trusting Amazon to do is send you a book and get it right. You're not trusting them to babysit your kids or check food imports from China at the border. Uh, The stakes are fairly low when we talk about corporate trust. You mentioned the VA. Even there, people will say, well, I don't trust the VA. Well, you don't have to trust them to do very much. What you really want to trust are the doctors working there or the person sitting at the desk who admits you. Sure. so the environment that we work in does have a big influence on whether individual human beings behave in a trustworthy way and whether individual human beings are inclined to trust other people or not. So it's the climate that sets it, but it, it's that mean it translates into personal trustworthiness behavior. With one exception, and that exception is the notion of reliability, dependability, track record, that exception, it makes sense to say, I trust the company. But all the other meanings of trust are pretty personal, like I can share, you know, empathetic, they care for me. Institutions don't care for you. They have policies or empathetic. No company is empathetic. Uh, You know, people are or they're not. So most of trust is personal, and the role of companies is to foster environments where employees and customers can interact with each other in a trust-enhancing kind of way.
0: But on the other side of the coin, uh, Charlie, I, I would assume that companies, if they're paying attention, can actually create policy and procedure that gives the appearance of individual trust and therefore translates that into the, to the organization as well.
2: Well, yes, except, you know, we as human beings are pretty good uh, filters. We, we have very good BS filters. And if a company, I mean, Enron, let's go back to that one. You may have seen the exhibit with Enron stating corporate values. They were, uh, you know, as, as fluffy and fog sculpting and beautiful and glorious as anybody's, and of course they were a joke. <laughs> right. Uh, you really do have to be sincere. So, um, and, and one of the big trends to go kind of argue the other side of the equation, the general societal propensity to trust on the part of people has gone down slowly and steadily. It hasn't been cyclical. It's been a slow, steady decline. And part of it is the fault of business. Because we have fostered this notion that business is all about competition and that companies have to protect themselves not only from competitors but from their customers and from their suppliers. And uh, that's had a slow grinding kind of an impact. Just today, I called up a, a small – my daughter is getting married next weekend uh, at a privately held inn up on Bear Mountain. And I called to see, you know, for my niece, can you get babysitting services? No, we don't provide connections to local people to do babysitting because of the liability. Well, I don't know about you, but I remember 15, 20, 30 years ago, if you were holding a wedding at a hotel and you called up and you said, can you give us the names of some local girls or women or something that might be interested in babysitting? Sure, we can. Here's the list we keep all the time. But we're now paranoid about liability. Companies yeah, yeah. really want to—they want to mitigate risk, mitigate risk, mitigate risk. Well, you know, headline, there is no trust without risk. Uh, you could be trustworthy all you want and advertise that you're trustworthy, but if you never take a chance on a, on a customer, guess what? The customer is going to say, wait, all the risk is on me. What kind of trust relationship is this? I don't trust you.
0: Yeah, what and, a fantastic point, yeah.
2: Isn't it? I mean, I mean,
0: I don't mean to take credit
2: for it. Yeah, it is a fantastic point.
0: Well, I mean, um, we, we, we typically do put it on the other person, but it, it's, a, it's a mutually shared sort of experience in terms of trust and trustworthiness working together.
2: Well, that's, that's exactly right, what you, the way you just said it. Let me underscore that. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. The trust relationship is a constantly reciprocating, back-and-forth uh, trading role between the one who is trusted and the one who is doing the trust thing. I listen to you. You listen to me. I compliment you. You compliment me. I do you a favor. You do me a favor. I
3: mm-hmm. take a risk
2: on you. You take a risk on me. It's that constant back and forth that is building trust. And if you short circuit it as a company by saying, we're never going to take a risk on a customer, throw the lawyers at it, everything, sign a 20 page document, we are not going to take a risk on a customer. Well, what does the customer say? The heck with you. Right? Why should I trust you?
0: Absolutely right. Hey, we're way long in this segment. I need to take a short break. But when I come back on the other side, folks, we'll continue our conversation with Charles Green. He is the author of The Trusted Advisor, Trusted Advisor, also Trust-Based Selling. Find him online, trustedadvisor.com. We'll come back in just a few minutes. Stay with me. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to The Business Locker Room on Voice America.
4: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Joke All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk.
4: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: And useful content that you can use to improve your business. I am your host, Kelly Riggs. Find me on Twitter, at Kelly Riggs. And always have the opportunity to send me a message. Kelly at Biz Locker Room. You can find out more about the show. Upcoming shows. The past guests that we've had on, like Charles Green, who joins us uh, in our conversation. We're talking about trust. He is the author of The Trusted Advisor and also trust-based selling. Charlie, uh, one, of, one of the books that I enjoyed reading recently, I just want to get your take on a little bit, was by Stephen Covey Jr., The Speed of Trust. Yeah. And I know there's a component in which trust really impacts the velocity of business, which, which in, the, in the big picture is actually a moneymaker. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Oh, absolutely right. Uh, yeah, Stephen Covey, I suppose, on some level is a competitor, but I respect him, he respects me. We've enjoyed having conversations together. And I think he did a brilliant thing in, in coming up with that title. It's one of those books where you read the title and you go, wow, that's really interesting. And yes. he encapsulates the whole thing in one sentence somewhere in there. Words to the effect of uh, when trust goes up, speed goes up, and cost goes down. When trust goes down, speed goes down, and cost goes up. And you think, wow, that's really right. And, and it, uh, you, you're totally right. If, uh, on the speed dimension, which you mentioned, if things go faster, uh, I mean, your sales cycle time goes down, your your time to market goes down, your R&D time goes down, your response to customer things goes down. Uh, speed is a huge uh, uh, variable. Um, there's some there's an interesting study done recently, uh, maybe not recent, but the gist of it was that if you respond to an inside sales call within 60 seconds, uh, you get something like eight times the the, the positive momentum that you would get if you just wait 15 minutes Mm -hmm. so speed accrues even at that micro level of a minute it's very powerful stuff
0: you know, it's really interesting, too, because I, I think most people, when they begin this conversation, now I, I say most, clearly there are exceptions, but most people, when they begin this discussion about trust, it's, it's usually reactive. We're reacting to some sort of crisis internally. Someone yeah. has done something that has, you know, brought to cast aspersions on the organization. And and we rarely think about trust as a, as a component of good business from that perspective. It's usually mm. we want to be, we, we be trusted so people will be attracted to our business. But trust plays a role far outside of those things. One of those roles I want to uh, explore with you, trust based selling, is about the role of trust in, inside the, the sales world. Uh, right. but, I'll, but I'll jump back over into your book, The Trusted Advisor. You talk about key principles of relationship building. And Charlie, relationship and trust are really inextricably linked. Yes, they are. Um, tell, me, tell me what people do. I mean, I, I hear salespeople say all the time, you know, selling is about relationships. Yep. But I don't know that we really understand what that means. Uh, talk a little bit about it from your perspective. Well,
2: I think, uh, and, and again, I come mainly from professional services here, uh, which tends to overweight the importance of content and, you know, brilliant intellectual insight and so forth. So my view is you've got to have both. As we were saying at the break, you, you, uh, empathy will not get you past being stupid. And being smart, on the other hand, will not get you uh, a, a sale if you're, if you're a clod. You know, and insensitive to, to other people. So the relationship part really is critical. And trust itself is a relationship, unlike competition, unlike uh, cost advantage, unlike a lot of things that we run across in sales where it's us versus the customer, a zero-sum game. Uh, trust, actually, uh, every benefit of trust that accrues to the seller also accrues to the buyer. So it's a really interesting kind of relationship. Not many relationships are like that. But if I save time, which saves me money, guess what The customer saves time too. If I get better information, guess what the customer is is getting better responses from me because they're willing to give up that information sure so it's a mutually beneficial relationship and which makes it a little bit different than a lot of things in in business i think
0: you when you talk about uh trusting inside of that sales relationship. Actually, in trusted advisor, you talk about four different levels. You talk about a service offering-based, what I happen to call in my my realm, I call them product pushers, but you've yeah. got a service offering-based person, then someone who elevates to a needs-based sort of uh, sales uh, uh, relationship with someone, then then that relationship-based, and then you take it to the next level, trust-based, But but yeah. you make the distinction between relationship-based and trust-based. What's the difference?
2: The difference is personal. I mean, the, the relationship base, uh, I think, is, is very much about um, it's kind of an, uh, a casual, comfortable, but still impersonal kind of relationship. Let me tell you what we've seen in other institutions. Have you thought about doing this? Uh, you know, from my perspective, this might be a good idea here. All those are things that you can offer advice from a broad perspective or you've had many relationships, and you can advise people on something outside the mere product, uh, or, or cost-benefits thing. At that trusted advisor level, there's one huge dimension added, which it really becomes personal. And you can have conversations like, uh, uh, Joe, uh, you know, you haven't said anything, but i got to believe you're nervous about this promotion coming up. I would be. I mean, can we talk about that? Uh, or uh, when you can actually say to somebody, you know what, I, uh, I'm not sure you should be buying this thing right now. I mean, who says that as a salesperson? But right. think about how trusted you become if you do say that. If your guiding principle becomes no longer uh, how to get the sale, but how to help the customer do the right thing, and if you're willing to expand your time frame uh, because you're focusing on the best needs not only the company but of that person, uh, you know a world of things become more available. So, in a nutshell, that's the level at which it gets personal.
0: So, you're really talking about the difference between knowing someone well and knowing them well enough to have a, an, an intimate conversation, something that, that uh, tests the boundaries of the relationship almost.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, the, the piece that you're talking about here, we array in the book, it's kind of a four-step, you know, up the ladder kind of a graphic. And while that seems very true on the face of it, it's also important to remember that it isn't necessarily linear. Sometimes the way trust works is, You spend an awful lot of time just dealing with product stuff because you have to. It's the nature of the business or the nature of the conversation, and most of our time is spent at that level. The real question is not do you develop a relationship that spends more time at the personal level. The real question is do you develop a relationship such that when those personal opportunities come up, you are totally comfortable with pulling the trigger on it and saying, whoa, you know, we need to talk or uh, help me understand I'm missing something here, Whatever, whatever the honest, uh, the intimate conversation that you put it is, the ability to have that conversation. And interestingly, you don't necessarily have to have a deep relationship. You don't necessarily have to go through long periods of earning the right, moving up those other steps. Sure. Uh, Quality matters. If you are sincere and you've mastered a few skills about your personal relationships and empathy and that kind of stuff, it's remarkable what you can say to people if you say it right and coming from the right place. It's remarkable how personal you can get with people if you're not there to abuse them and take advantage of it.
0: My guest is Charles Green. He's the author of The Trusted Advisor. Find him online at trustedadvisor.com. I wanted to read an excerpt from this particular article that I saw today. Across my desk today, uh, Veterans Corner, Secretary Gibson aims to regain veterans' trust. He says, uh, quote, this is the director." of uh, the Veterans Affairs, Sloan Gibson. He says this, the trust that is the foundation of all we do, the trust of the veterans we serve, and the trust of the American people and their elected representatives has eroded. We have to earn that trust back through deliberate and decisive action and by creating an open and transparent approach for dealing with our stakeholders to better serve veterans. He goes on, Charlie, to outline six key priorities to begin restoring that trust. And I just want to get your commentary on this and see just as, a, as someone who kind of specializes in this arena, what you think about the approach here. Number one, he says, get veterans off wait lists and into clinics, fix the systemic scheduling problems, address cultural issues, right. uh, hold, hold people accountable where willful misconduct or management negligence are documented, establish regular and ongoing disclosures of information and quantify the resources needed to consistently deliver timely high-quality health care. Those, those are big, big mountains to climb. But what, what do you think about uh, the approach to the, the trust rebuilding process?
2: Well, I think he's mostly right. Uh, although that last one, you mentioned, quantify the resources needed to consistently deliver. No, that, that doesn't belong on the list. Uh, people don't care whether you quantify the resources needed at all. And, in fact, the, the passion for quantification gets business in a lot of trouble. But the other one, <laughs> I, I, let me underscore what he said there: get up, get veterans off waiting lists, fix systemic scheduling problems. Uh, yes, because the VA is bleeding right now, and the first thing you do to use that metaphor is stop the bleeding. Yes, uh, you know he's absolutely right. You got to fix stop the bleeding so the people see. You know they can even focus on the other stuff because we all get rabid and crazy. You know when trust is being violated. So fix the broken stuff. Then I think he had you know address cultural issues. Well, that's. You know, who knows what that means? That's pretty big. But mm-hmm. I heard you mention hold people accountable. Yes. yes. A- absolutely. And I, my sense is that one of the things that went wrong here goes wrong in a lot of businesses, not government. It's, it's business, too. You set metrics and, and um, uh, incentives in place, and guess what? People behave perversely. Um, there was a wonderful article in the New Yorker last week about the perverse effect of incentives on No Child Left Behind in the Atlanta schools. Uh, people ended, up, and teachers ended up cheating on exams for actually for good motives to try and help the kids, but it got twisted. We've all got stories in businesses where salespeople are especially clever at you know beating the system. Right. And what I hear him saying when he says hold people accountable and address cultural issues is saying, you know what, the metrics. And the incentives are just there to give you guidance. It doesn't matter. if You can't mechanize trust. You can't mechanize the right way to behave to our clientele. You have to be customer focused. You have to pay attention to the veterans and do the right thing. And if that turns out to be out of sync with your little metrics and incentives, then we'll fix those later. But start with do the right thing. Well, I hope that's what he's saying because that would be right.
0: Mm, interesting stuff. Charlie, can you stay with me through another break? Of course couple more questions i want to ask you in particular but when i need to take a time out we need to pay some bills when we come back we'll continue our conversation with charles green he's the author of the trusted advisor my name is kelly riggs i'm your host you're listening to the business locker room on voice america we'll be right back
4: the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network
1: Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit vmaxpg.com. That's vmaxpg.com. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune into The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff.
0: Hey, welcome back to the business locker room. You got to go back a ways to remember that song, Bachman Turner Overdrive, "Taking Care of Business." I'm I'm old enough to remember one of one of the songs I grew up with, and we are indeed taking care of business. Uh, I'm finishing my conversation with Charles Green, uh, and you can find him at on Twitter at Charles H Green, and and I almost ran out of time, Charlie. But I want to jump into what you call the trust equation, and you actually write it out like an equation T equals C plus R plus I over S and I'll just hand it over to you and let you explain it.
2: Okay, it's, um, uh, we, we present it like an equation because I really think it helps people grasp it. It's a formula for trustworthiness. Remember I talked about trusting versus trustworthiness? Yes, absolutely. This is trustworthiness and it's mainly personal. C, credibility, stands for basically the word and I believe what you tell me. R stands for reliability. Can I depend on you if you've got a track record? I stands for intimacy. Basically, do I feel safe and secure talking to you and sharing things with you? And those are all positive. If you increase, if you score high on that, then your view is trustworthy. In the denominator, it goes the other way. The factor called self-orientation, which is a mixture of selfishness and self-preoccupation. Are you all wrapped up in yourself or do you have enough psychic energy to pay attention to me? And we actually mapped that out. Uh, we, we put it online in the form of a 20-question test, which people can take themselves for free if they want on the front page of the website. And uh, I don't know if we have time, but I'll give you two headlines that came out. of okay. 60,000 people haven't taken that. Number one, I'll put you on the spot here. Uh, you know, like, who's more trustworthy, men or women?
0: Uh, generally, I would say women.
2: You are correct. And that is statistically meaningful, true. At least according to our definition, women score higher uh, than that. um, And most people make that same guess, which I think is uh, confirmatory. The second one, Karen, take a guess, which of those four variables turns out to be the most powerful? Like if you do a regression analysis, which one is most connected with highest uh, trust scores?
0: I would say selfishness or the self-orientation.
2: You would think so. It turns out to be intimacy. Oh. Uh, so there's actually a statistical argument uh, hard data that supports that the powerful stuff is the soft skill and of course most of the people i talk to consultants accountants lawyers like oh my god I can't believe that well here's some hard data for you <laughs> put that in the pipe and smoke it
0: yeah
1: uh, that absolutely. turns
2: out to be the most powerful stuff
0: now how, so, do you, how do you know that about intimacy how does that what, what do the questions look like or and in oh, fact you might even define it a little more for for our listeners
2: Sure. Well, again, the intimacy, there are five questions out of 20. uh, uh, Sorry, there are 20 questions, five each for each of those four variables. Okay. And there are things like, you know, people generally tell me if they believe what I say. uh, That's a credibility one. Or uh, I find that people share an awful lot with me very easily. That's an intimacy one. By the way, these are all self-scored. So you might say, well, you know, how can you trust people's self evaluation the answer is we never use these for anything except direct response to you individually. So you're only lying to yourself if you put your thumb on the scale.
1: Right. Uh,
2: so in aggregate, the, uh, uh, those intimacy ones have to do with, you know, do people confide in you? Do they feel safe and secure? you seem to engender uh, an awful lot of uh, people, you know, spilling their guts to you, that sort of thing. And what I mean when I say it's the most powerful, you, you put those four factors into a simple regression analysis and ask which one is most responsible for a high R-squared in a formula, and it turns out to be NFC. Uh, most of the people I work with would, would presumably think it's credibility and reliability. And most, I'll bet you most salespeople, most B2B anyway, that you deal with, probably the same way. They emphasize content, track record, statistics, data, uh, and you have to have that. I mean, nobody's going to buy from you if you can't prove something. But the truth is what really drives it, if there's anywhere near comparability in the product offering. It's whether or not you feel that the salesperson is actually uh, trying to hustle you or trying to do something in your interest. Is this somebody who you feel cares about you and you can talk with? Or is this just somebody, you know, checking the box and and marking the clock? Those things have a big impact. uh, There's some headlines.
0: Yeah, those are some those are some fantastic headlines. Because I know in in my work the topic comes up quite often in terms of trust. Being able to actually narrow it down to four very distinct pieces, uh, and, and to have hard data behind it is is really useful. So building yeah. personal trustworthiness uh, enables me to engender in other people to trust me and to reciprocate that.
2: That's right. Yeah, if you can become personally trustworthy, and there's some basic skills associated with that. You know, tell the truth, in fact, don't tell lies. Be very careful to do that. Establish a track record. You know, learn some basic uh, uh, empathetic skills for the intimacy factor. Uh, If you can get that down, and then if you can learn to take a few risks on people, to do the trusting part of it, the combination of those two, you know, being trustworthy for others and being willing to trust others on occasion as opposed to constantly paranoid, you know, pulling your your punches and and, uh, uh, hedging your bets uh
0: that's that's what does it. Wow, you now you, before I let you go, I've got about two minutes, Charlie, before I let you go later in the book, The Trusted Advisor, you actually advocate a process. you have a and I, and I'm a big process guy, especially from the sales world, but you you talk about a a five step process. engage, listen, frame envision, and commit. Take take just a moment and talk about that process and, sure. and, and help me see is that, is that a linear thing or, or do the, are those things happening sort of at the same time and all arrive at the finish line sort of concurrently? Tell me how that works.
2: No, that one actually is linear and I'm not a big process guy either uh, but but this particular one it, it, it's mapping the evolution of a trust relationship and it is kind of linear and the, the one lesson from that model, engage, listen, frame, envision, commit, the one lesson is that listen has to come before the last three. Almost all, 90% of problems in sales conversations that break down is because you didn't really qualify in the listening part of it. You didn't spend enough time making the other person feel like they were heard. Uh, we, we approach listening like it's an exercise in extracting information. But the truth is, yeah, you got to get the information. But the most powerful part of listening is that the other person feels that, ah, they get me. They finally understand me. They know where I'm coming from. Now I can listen to what they have to say.
0: And wow, that's biggest, that's really good.
2: Yeah, no question. And and uh, Neil Rackham would agree with this. The biggest single problem is trying to solve the problem too soon, not doing enough listening to affirm that you have heard it legitimately.
1: And uh,
0: then you, the and then you thing go things. into the then you go into the frame process. What does that look like? That looks
1: like
2: problem definition. Everybody on this call knows what that means. It's like here's the real nub of the issue here. And I guess the, the key insight in that model is the other person has to agree with you. Like, it's not very helpful to say the problem is you're a jerk. The other person's not likely to agree with you that they're a jerk. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, if, uh, you know, if you can get agreement on what the issue is, then that's, you know, that's, that's a hurdle to move through.
0: Yeah, it might, might be a little difficult to uh, trust the person who claims that you're a jerk, too. So we're kind of shortcutting yeah. that whole process. Hey, just a fantastic conversation, Charles. Thanks thanks for joining me here in the business locker room. He's Charles Green, and you want to find him and you want to read his stuff. I promise you, you'll find it to be worthwhile. TrustedAdvisor.com. Follow Charlie on Twitter at Charles H. Green. And uh, my advice uh, pick up both of his books. Uh, the trusted advisor and trust based selling, as well. Charlie, can't thank you enough. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Kelly. All right, very good. We're going to take our final time out. And we're going to come back on the other side. And thanks to 40 Sales, our trusted sponsor for the X's and O's segment, Miles Austin will jump on board. And we'll talk about a brand new tool that uh, you're going to be interested in if you use any kind of presentation materials at all. It's called Haiku Deck. Stay with me. We'll come back in just a couple of minutes. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to The Business Locker Room on Voice America.
4: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit vmaxpg.com. That's vmaxpg.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff.
0: Thanks for joining me and a special thanks to Charles for joining us and talking about trust. And we're going to revisit that subject more than once, I can assure you. Just a fantastic topic and one that I have great interest in. Now we switch gears and we go to the X's and O's segment, and we have 4D sales to thank for that. Let me talk just a minute about 4D sales. Both Miles and I are big, big fans. 4D sales is a tablet based sales tool that is available for both iPads and Windows 8 devices. It helps a salesperson present their information in a very visually appealing, interactive way that is extremely compelling. In fact, I've begun using 4D sales. I know Miles has as well. I've been in the sales and marketing consulting business for a long, long time, and I can tell you, 4D sales is that one truly easy to use tools that that has benefits for everybody first off for the salesperson I have everything that I need right at my fingertips price lists, brochures PDFs slide decks web pages even videos interleaved on my tablet device that I can seamlessly scroll between and show to my client makes it very very easy for the sales manager or the business owner they are absolutely assured that the very latest brochures and PDFs and case studies and everything that salespeople use are all consistent across the sales platform. Everyone has them, and they're all accessible. It creates consistency, and it makes everything very available to the, to the customer. And I can immediately email that to them and, and, and provide it for them to for viewing and so forth. Just a fantastic tool. Check them out, 4DSales.com, and we're proud to have them on board to sponsor the X's and O's segment. And for that segment, I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Miles, how are you doing?
3: I'm doing great, Kelly.
0: Thanks for having me on today. Brother, you feel, or you sound rather, so much better than you have the past couple of weeks. I know you've been battling it out there.
3: You know, I have, and I think what I discovered was, uh, thanks to the uh, suggestions of a couple of good friends, they said, Miles, I think you got some allergies. And I started taking some uh, over-the-counter medicine, and uh, it cleared up very quickly. So I'm very thankful for their observations, because I was too too dull to be able to figure that out of myself.
0: Well, uh, just for our listeners' sake, you know, Miles is a brilliant guy, but if he can't find it on the Internet, it's not going <laughs> to happen for him. So uh, we had to have somebody bring it back to the human element and get him to a doctor or at least to an over-the-counter <laughs> pharmaceutical place. There hey, was not uh,
3: an iPad app. so I there, Yeah,
0: no app for that. Hey, that could be our big idea. Let's talk about another big idea, Haiku Deck. Now this is primarily an iPad app, as you shared with me. Now it's available uh, uh, as well on uh, in the cloud or web-based. But let's talk about what it is, Miles. And I know
3: you're a big user, so talk a little bit about how you use it as well. Absolutely, Kelly. Um, look, we all, I think, would acknowledge that more and more important in all of our lives, in business, whether it's in sales or leadership or management, doesn't matter. We all have to continue to improve our ability. To share our ideas and our our recommendations to a group, whether it's one or a group of a thousand, and anything that I can do to improve my ability to get my point across, I'm going to do everything I can to learn that capability, and that's what Haiku Deck does. Uh,
0: th- there's got to be more to it than that. Uh, clearly, Miles. I mean, I, I I personally currently use Keynote. I'm a big fan. And I get a lot of uh, response to it when I use it in presentations. Prior to that, obviously, like most people, I use PowerPoint. So, uh, and, and there are other types of presentation products out there. H- how does this one, uh, what does it do for me? Why, why would I even consider making any
3: kind of change? Well, Kelly, the truth is I use Haiku Deck um, in conjunction with PowerPoint in several occasions. So let, let me use an example. I, I am not, and I think a lot of our listeners probably are not design gurus. We I know good design when I see it, but leave it up to me to create it, and I'm going to fail pretty much every time. What Haiku Deck does is make it virtually impossible for you to create an ugly, uninformative slide presentation. And it sounds a little bold, but it's honestly the case. It starts with the premise that the image... And your slide should not be your outline or your text or your messaging. They come from from an approach, at least from my working with them, to say your slide should be your emphasis. It should be the point you're making. It's what you want to do to connect um, mentally and emotionally with your audience on the point that you're trying to make. So for those of our listeners that use it as an outline to speak from, Then Haiku Deck isn't for you because this is really designed for someone that knows their message and knows their content, but wants to really make an impression on the listener or on the audience. And they do it through a full screen graphic. One of the challenges we a lot of us find myself specifically is I'm always looking for some great images to use in my presentations. And I personally have gotten in trouble because I go out to the web and I find something. I think, boy, that's perfect and I'll use it. Well, guess what? I I didn't realize that it was a copyrighted um, uh, image. And so I got a nice little nasty gram from the folks at Getty. So all (laughs) of these are, um, you're able to use them. You're able to um, incorporate them into your presentations. Um, It gives you the ability then through the design that you choose. And it's through a template type of an approach. To have the background and those images that you select based on the keywords in your presentation, it'll go out and give you options based on those important words that you're presenting. It then will give you those to select from, and it does a fantastic job. And then the thing that I really enjoy, what I think really helps it stand out, is it goes in each of these themes or templates, pre-selects an ideal Beautiful, very elegant, and good communicative um, font and color scheme to build into that slide deck. So I tell people, look, if you're, you have trouble making a good-looking slide deck, the first place to start is Haiku Deck.
0: Wow. Okay, I, I'm already a fan. I have sent <laughs> through enough PowerPoint really bad PowerPoint presentations to know already this should be required usage for for most people uh, at the risk of a little self-promotion here the the book that I wrote last year quit whining and start selling there's a chapter in it miles called dead money and uh, it it talks about three ways you can absolutely kill your sale dead number one PowerPoint abuse (laughs) to be so many people use PowerPoint as a one-sided uh, sit while I comment on my notes on the screen, listen while I read to you kind of platform that it just it just makes people crazy. What you're suggesting is
3: this almost prevents you from doing that. I mean, you, d- you didn't really have to work hard to keep from making that mistake. Uh, look, I, ha- I screw up all the time and I've had a tendency to put too much text on my slides and I know I learned many, many years ago from one of the guys that I think is one of the best presenters I've ever seen, Guy Kawasaki. And he has a a philosophy that was the 10, 20, 30 philosophy for presenting your, your slides. And it was 10 stands for 10 slides. He said 10 is the optimal number. 20 is 20 minutes. He said if you have more than 20 minutes a presentation, he said, you're going to probably run into an audience, no matter how exciting you can be, that's going to start to drift. And the, the most important part here, which ties directly to Haiku Deck, is a 30-point font. He said, people will not read, they will not get, and they'll drift off if you have a bunch of text or even one line of text that's too stinking small. And I always would pull it back i'd make it smaller i didn't want to be too bold and and he teaches and a lot of the other experts gar reynolds nancy duarte roger Mm -hmm. corville Mm -hmm. in their books on presentation all say get that font as big as it can possibly be and your message will be absorbed by your audience much more quickly and they'll remember it for a longer period of time yeah, well clearly it's insulting uh, to, to many people when you put a slide up and then turn around,
0: and turn your back to me and read it for me, as if uh, you know, I don't have the capability. I can hear our audience screaming, all right, where do I find this thing? haikudeck.com. H A I K-U-Deck, D-E-C-K. HaikuDeck.com. And the the interesting thing about it is is it's it it can be something that You can use and just transport any slides that you develop. Miles, you made reference to this. I can then take those slides and just import them into my standard PowerPoint presentation or even, in my case, Keynote. Uh, So so it just becomes another tool to use. And the great part is, uh, according to my understanding,
3: it's free. (laughs) Oh, free is that wonderful word. That should be just picture a slide deck with four big letters in a huge font on your screen F-R-E-E. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> now, in all fairness, let me tell you that the, because they use these templates and these designs, you can buy additional ones. But if you never spend a penny on Haiku Deck, um, you're going to have ample design capability there. Um, so it, it is one of those tools that is free for all intents and purposes, unless you really want to go crazy like I and some other people do, and really get into some advanced design capability
0: well here's the difference folks uh, haiku deck I'm just I'm just reading off their website having looked at the team there, uh, there there's a group of guys that started the company but these are guys who created software to fill a void that they had it, it, it's much like the guys that started Netflix they got tired of uh, you, you know late fees so they decided to see if they could do something different I think haiku deck is like that we, we had a real problem in finding presentation aids things that would enable us to Create those kind of killer pitch decks that really grab attention and, and get people to listen. So uh, they they created this software around it, uh, and and I and I'm already a big fan. I can tell you, I've got a big presentation coming up next week, and I'm going to jump in and, and take a look at it. Uh, if I was just going to get started, Miles, help out the listeners a little bit. What how would you get started with something like this?
3: Well, you literally go in, whether it's an iPad or the web. I, I mean, I can I can not on this occasion, I can tell you a horror story that happened to me traveling with my laptop, no power, and all I had left was an iPad mini, and I created it. So what you do, you go in, you, you kind of know the theme, and you know your audience, right? You pick a theme that kind of feels good, maybe a font that you like, maybe an overall look about how the appearance will be. You pick that from the gallery, and then from there, you simply select it, and you'll start creating the slides. You'll put in your keywords into your presentation. In other words, mine is on sales, um, success uh, profit and recruiting let's just pick four you put those keywords in and it will bring up for you on the screen a large selection of high quality images that match and and give the message of that keyword what a, i mean that by itself will save you a few hours And
0: a few bucks, too. I mean, you're not going to have to (laughs) default to uh, somebody else to do that for you. Well, it's great stuff. I mean, I really appreciate you introducing these. Like so many of the tools that you outlined for us, on the show, I suspect this is going to be another one that I will begin using. I've I told uh, Miles offline that he's, uh, he's revolutionized the way I work just because he's been a part of this show. Miles, I, I didn't tell people where to find you. Want to do that? Fillthefunnel.com is Miles' website. And you can get information on many, many different kinds of tools that will really help you in your daily productivity. Make sure that you find him online. Fillthefunnel.com. Follow him On Twitter as well at Miles Austin. That is going to do it for today's show. Special thanks to uh, to Charles Green who joined us and we talked about trust. He's the author of Trusted Advisor. Miles Austin, of course, always in the X's and O's segment. And uh, our special thanks to 40 Sales for partnering with us to make the X's and O's segment a possibility. Next week, we will have on Todd Schnick of Intrepid Radio. Can't wait to have that conversation with a fellow radio host. He's done thousands of radio shows and helped uh, people all across the country with their businesses and sales and marketing and so forth. That'll be a great conversation. Thanks for joining us. Find us at bizlockerroom.com. Michael Surgett on the other side of the glass. He's my engineer making us sound good. Brandy Jackson's our executive producer. We will see you next week In the Business Locker Room, I'm Kelly Riggs. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.